first anniversary of the well, and I was thinking a lot about what we should talk about this morning, and I realized that some of you were not here when we first started the well. Um, So I want to give you a quick recap of, of the story that comes right before the one that Steve just read. The story of the woman at the well is a Samaritan woman who would have been on the outskirts of society just by being a Samaritan. But beyond that, uh, she was a woman who had five husbands, and when Jesus meets her, is living with a man, a sixth man, who is not her husband. One of the things people don't always remember about the story of the woman at the well is that it wasn't, that it wasn't just a chance meeting. It wasn't that Jesus just happened to be in town and there was this woman at the well. No, he actually went far, far, far out of his intended route to get to this woman. And that is how we got to this name, the well, for this place. We wanted this to be a place where people uh, of all kinds could come and meet Jesus. That he would meet us here at the well, and and our stories would be changed. So here we are at the end of the first year, getting ready to start the second year, and we kind of have to figure out what comes next. So it seemed logical to me that the next thing we should do is look at what comes next in the scriptures. So that's where we are today as we look at John 4. Let me pray for us. If you brought your Bible with with you, you can turn to it. Otherwise, I know it'll be up on the screen, and we'll study that word together. Gracious God, thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So I think one of the reasons that the story of the woman at the well is so well-loved and is so remembered is that she is one of the most relatable human beings that we can find in the Scripture. Her challenges were many. Like I said, she had five husbands. And when Jesus catches up with her, she's now living with a sixth man. There were things that she had done that pushed her far, far outside of the rest of the world to the point where she felt that she no longer even had a place among the people. That's why she's at the well at the heat of the day when nobody else is there. It's why she was certain that she couldn't be in places of worship because that's where all the acceptable people hang out. She's even convinced herself that the stranger who she's about to meet will quickly excuse himself from her presence once he knows the whole story about who she is. But the reality is each one of us carries a story. Now, some of us have these stories of of epic romance and and long-lost love, and others have stories of, of addiction and tremendous loss. And a few of us might tell our story as an ongoing journey filled with highs and and lows. And there's still others that believe that their whole story can best be summarized in one defining moment. So let me ask you, what would your story be if you found yourself at the well and you saw this stranger coming in your direction? What what would you say about yourself? How, How would you tell your story? And then Jesus shows up, and much to everyone's surprise, he already knows the whole story. Not just the highlight reel that we would choose to tell. He's got all those dirty little details that that we would quickly gloss over or not even mention if we were talking to somebody else. It's that knowledge, that truth that, that God holds about each of us that makes this such a compelling 
story. If Jesus knew only the good stuff about us, all the great stuff about us, how generous we are with our time, how we once gave 357 cans of food to the local food pantry, how we let someone cut in front of us at the gas station the other day, if Jesus knew only the good stuff, then we wouldn't be caught off guard that he'd want to be around us. Everybody would want to be around us. But the fact that Jesus knew the ugly stuff, all the broken stuff, all those things that we try so hard to sweep under the rug, and yet he still showed up, that's the story. That's what's worth talking about. Over this last year, we've seen many folks make their way into the life of the well. And each one comes with a story. At first, when a newcomer comes into this place, they're pretty sure that they're the only one, the only one that has a story, at least a story that has some blemishes and cuts and bruises in it. Many of us have held on to those stories for so long that that they become our identity. And we're very self-conscious that we might be walking around with a flashing banner over our head that screams out to the world our identity. Alcoholic, rage issues, divorcee, widower, greedy, selfish, overeater, arrogant, drug addict, gambler, hates kids. When you create a banner like that and you carry that banner into a place like this, your assumption is is that everyone is judging you by that banner. What happens here, though, at the well and what people quickly discover is that we're not all that interested in your banner. Why is that? Because we're carrying one, too. All of us have a backstory. But that's not what we're here for. We're here because we want to change how our future story is told. When Jesus came to the woman at the well, he knew exactly what he was walking into. It took him two days off of his intended route just to get to her, just so that he could give her a future that was not going to be defined by her past. That's the driving vision that we have for this place. All of us, every person in this room started somewhere. And we all ended up with a story. But here we are in this moment with a chance to change that story. And to lay down whatever that banner is and exchange it for one that says redeemed and loved. So if you're here today... You've already shown up at the well. There is some part of you that gets that Jesus has been actively looking for you, even though he already knows all of your messy stuff. The visual that I want to give you is that of the well with, with all of us from every service in this place. There are two other services that happen here on Sunday mornings coming from all directions towards the well. And when we get there, what we find is that Jesus is waiting for us. What that means is that we don't have to keep anyone from getting to the well, the living water of Jesus. It's not a pay-to-play endeavor. There's no preferential treatment. There's no judgment about those who stand around at the well with us. Because at the end of the day, all of us have something. Something that hurts us. Something that, that breaks us. Something that scares us. And it's heavy enough as it is. There's no need to make anybody else's load any heavier. Everybody 
Everybody needs a chance to breathe. Now, some of us have been standing at the well for a while, and we can see it and we can feel it in tangible ways that our story is changing. We're slowly grasping this idea of redemption that that Jesus is giving to us. We're slowly coming to recognize that that we actually have value, that we're capable of, of being loved and of loving others. But we've got friends. We've got friends in that backstory of ours who are still hurting. They're still trying to carry that crushing load all by themselves. They're still convinced that their identity is this permanent, irremovable tattoo that cannot ever, under any circumstances, be changed. What do we do with that? What happens in the world beyond the well? Well, I want to go back and look in the original Gospel of John and find out. So this is verse 31, chapter 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four more months, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around. See how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper might rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So now picture this. Picture this scene. We have this great spiritual moment of this woman being transformed by this encounter with Jesus. And immediately, what do the disciples do? They bring in the realities of the world. Right away, eat something, the disciples say. It makes me sure that the the first disciples were all Presbyterians. Eat something. (laughs) What could possibly be less glamorous and exciting coming off of what has just happened than eating. The disciples are genuinely concerned about Jesus' physical well-being because they know that food is a fact of life. We have to eat. We have to have water to live. It's absolutely essential to who we are. So when Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work, Jesus is saying that for us to follow and love and serve God is just as essential to our lives as food and water. He goes on to speak of the harvest and laborers in the fields, but there is an urgency to his voice. When you are looking through the scriptures and you're looking at how Jesus is speaking, look for those times when Jesus is urgent in what he's trying to communicate. He says the harvest is already ripe, and that means that the laborers should have been in the field yesterday. Jesus's point is that there's this whole world out there, this, this whole town of Bradenton that is filled with people who are hungry. They're waiting for the harvest to come in. They're waiting to hear the good news of the gospel, and many, many, many of them needed to hear that news yesterday or last week or last year. This is an urgent situation that Jesus is speaking about. Now that might seem a little bit odd to us, because there's something like 400 plus churches in the greater Bradenton area. But what do you think would happen if 
And what do you think we might discover if we just closed all of our doors one Sunday morning and sent the whole church family out all over town to observe what other people do on Sunday mornings? Let me tell you one church that is always packed on Sunday mornings. It is called St. Arbucks. Think about it. Those of you that are still working on it, spell it out, right? Packed on Sunday mornings. The chapel by the beach chair, order of the trashy romance novel, packed on set on Sunday mornings. Many of us will discover that some of our neighbors may have opted for the namaste in bed church and rest <laughs> this morning. Why, why is that? Why, why would people do that? It's because we often tell the wrong story. We try to tell the story of the church, how long the building has been in existence, how many people are in the choir or the praise team, what kind of fair trade coffee we have. You know what? That's not a compelling story. It's not. There's nothing in that story that's going to cause anybody to change their Sunday morning routine. Nothing that's going to take them away from St. Arbucks. We can't compete with that. So here's the story that has to be told. The story that has to be told is that there is a God who is willing to pursue us to the ends of the earth to let us know that we can be forgiven, that our story is not over, that there is more to write, and it is worthy of love. And that through his redemption, we get to change the course of our history. And then, and only then, after sharing that story, and letting that story sink in, only then do we get to even come remotely close to telling the story of the little church at 6101 Cortez Road that so believes in this God of forgiveness and redemption that we have set up our entire worshiping community to be a place where, where people can come and meet this God through community and hospitality and joy. God's story comes first. Here's what happened with the Samaritan woman after she met Jesus at the well. This is verse 39. Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I'd ever done. Do you know how crazy that sounds? They believe because of this woman's testimony. This woman, this woman who's, who's been married five times and, and is now living with a sixth man, she's not a preacher. She didn't go to seminary. She wasn't even going to church when this happened. What authority did this woman this, this sinner have to speak of the Savior of the world. Well, she has the same authority that you and I do. It's called testimony. And each one of us has one that we can share. She didn't go all theological on the people. She didn't throw the sins of others in their face the way that they had done to her. She didn't pull out the scriptures and try to logically cajole people into believing. All that she did... All that she did was to tell her story. A story that didn't belong to anyone else but her. The story of how she met the Lord Jesus Christ who knew everything about her and rather than walk away from her like everybody else did, stayed with her and forgave her and redeemed her life. She didn't go and tell my story. She didn't tell any of your stories. She told her story. And her story was true and authentic and real. That is what brought other people to that starting place 
of believing in Jesus. See, we all started somewhere. But nobody, nobody should ever end at the starting line. Our testimony might be that starting place for someone, enough to get them to come and and seek out this Jesus for themselves. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two more days. One of the things that we have to understand is that our stories are unique. So for the woman at the well, she got it. In about 20 minutes, she got it. But for others, it took two days. That's a long period of time in relationship. We have to understand always, always, that we all come to Jesus at a different pace. And we need to show others the grace that he has shown to us in their journey. And more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. What an extraordinary moment that is. The people move from from believing because of somebody else's testimony to believing because they experience it for themselves. Nothing will be more powerful in the lives of human beings than personal encounters with living God. Because it's in those personal encounters that God enters into our story, enters into your story, and changes our individual lives. Now, where do we as a church fit into that? How do we think about the well going forward from that place? Well, we start by telling our stories. Churches grow when people tell the stories of transformation and hope. But churches grow deep when those stories are rooted in Jesus. So tell your story. Tell about how God put you in a place where you were changed. Tell about somebody that brought the word of Scripture alive for you. Tell about, tell about how there was this community. And this community loved you as Jesus himself loves you. And then tell them, tell them about the living water, not the organic coffee. Tell them about the joy, not the building. Tell them about the hope, not the pastor. Come, come to the well, this precious place, and fill yourself with love and encouragement and joy and grace, but leave here and go beyond the well so that you can tell your story to others and that they too might find their way to Jesus, the Savior, who went way, way out of his way to make it to the well in the first place. Let me pray for us. Holy God, let us be people of living water who know that we have been claimed and chosen by you, set apart, redeemed, and changed forever. Hold us tightly in your grip of grace that we might be able to share that grace with others. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, on the first anniversary of the well, we are going to be receiving new members into the life of this congregation. And I'm just going to call them by name and invite them to come forward to meet all of you. So you have Terry and Rob Bennett. Rob is a firefighter. He's working this morning. And their three girls, Allie, Abby, and Annie. 
Julia and Sean Dutchhaver. Sean, uh, it, he runs Surfer Bus, and he is not here on Sunday mornings, but their kids are going to come up. That's Lola and Marlon, Finn and Boson, Gail Halstead, Dennis Alexander, Don and Diane Dirth. So here's what I want you to know about this moment. These folks have been with us some from the very first day that we started the well. And the reason that they have chosen to join our church family is because it is that it is a family of which they have been blessed to be in ministry with us for the last year. They have served, you see them at all kinds of events, and they have finally reached that moment in their family's life when they, when they want to say out loud, this is our family, we are connected together in the bonds of Christ. So they have met with the elders of the church, and this morning I'm going to ask them the four questions that we ask of all of our members. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? And will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way? And will you seek the fellowship of the Christian church wherever you may be? What do you think, friends and family of the well? Is this good for us? Is it good for them? We, we are delighted to have you as, as part of our family. We feel like you're part of the family anyway, but we're excited that you are claiming that for yourselves. And so this morning, let us pray for you together. Holy God, we thank you that you have seen fit to bring these new brothers and sisters into the life of the well. We rejoice that we get to grow together, that we get to learn together, that we get to serve together. Help us to do that with the humility and grace that brought us to this place in the, first, in the first place. We thank you for the children, for the joy that they bring in, into our lives, the hope that they give us. And we thank you for all of the ways that we have seen these new brothers and sisters serve us and serve you. May we go forward and serve together. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>